on the topic of the seriousness of sin. On June 20th, 2005, Pastor Joel Osteen was interviewed on Larry King Live. Larry King asked Pastor Osteen if he uses the term sinners. And the pastor answered, and I quote, I don't use it. I never thought about it, but probably I don't. Most people already know when they are doing wrong. When I get them to church, I want to tell them that you can change. Let me say as an aside that this gentleman feels that he gets people to church as a sermon for another time. Larry King went on and asked Pastor Osteen on that occasion, is it hard to lead the Christian? Hard to lead the Christian life. Pastor Osteen answered, and I quote, I don't think it's hard. To me, it's fun to have joy and happiness. I'm not trying to follow a set of rules and stuff. I'm just living my life. This outlook on the diminished view of the seriousness of sin is not unique to Pastor Osteen. It is a plague that is sweeping through the evangelical church of the West, and There is a book I would commend to your reading. It's entitled Christless Christianity by Michael Horton. In this book, Horton gives evidence that Pastor Osteen chooses to use the word mistakes over sins usually. And Ravi Zacharias, before his recent home going to heaven, observed that there is not one mention of the cross in Pastor Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now. All this to say that this is quite the alarming downgrade on the seriousness of sin which the Puritans had. For instance, John Owen, Puritan John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. John Bunyan defined sin this way. Sin is the dare of God's justice, the rape of his mercy, the jeer of his patience, the slight of his power and contempt of his love. End quote. Billy Graham, quote, the cross shows us the seriousness of our sin, but it also shows us the immeasurable love of God. End quote. There are two Old Testament things that show us the seriousness of sin. And these were Israel's high priests and Israel's prescribed animal sacrifices. We're going to look at a passage that points out both. Hebrews 5, verses 1 to 10. Let me begin by reading Hebrews 5, 1. Hear the word of God. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in the things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Let me take the half verse first. Sin is so serious that sin required a high priest. There is no such thing as do-it-yourself dealing with one's own sin. Holy God required that there be a human high priest, and God appointed those high priests in the nation of Israel. No democracy, no vote. Sin is serious. 
it required a high priest in the camp of Israel. The second thing to notice about how sin is so serious comes from the second half of verse 1. I'll read the whole verse. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of all men in all things pertaining to God, watch now, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. On the one hand, sin required a high priest. On the other hand, sin demanded gifts and sacrifices. By Jewish law, the gifts were the grain offerings, which were to express thanks to God and dedication for God's use. And by Jewish law, the sacrifices were the blood offerings, because without the shedding of blood, Scripture tells us, there is no remission for sin. And so sin is serious. It demands a blood sacrifice. The third thing to see in our passage, that sin is so serious, the third point, sin infected both high priests and their congregation. Verses 2 and 3. He, that is the high priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is also beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. (laughs) There has never been a priest, a pastor, a clergyman who has never sinned. Back then, the high priest and the congregation were all cut from the same fallen, depraved bolt of cloth. Both the high priest in Israel and the congregation of Israel were made of dust, and to dust they returned. Both put on one sandal at a time. Both fell short of God's laws often in thought and word and deed. So it is with pastors and priests today. We need Christ. We need the blood. We need to be forgiven of our sins. We're not perfect. And back to the nation of Israel, who had a human high priest that was cut out of the same bowl of cloth as them, that returned to dust as they returned to dust, that put one sandal on at a time, that fell short of God's laws and thought, word, and deed. Because all that was so, the high priests were to minister to the Jews gently. 2A. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the misguided, since he himself also is beset with weaknesses. The obedient high priest was gentle. He did not have a superior attitude or a holier-than-thou spiritual pride and arrogance. Back then, the godly high priest had an attitude of, we're in this thing together outlook when it came to sinning and falling short of God's standard. And the godly priest back then had a we're in this together outlook about seeking God's forgiveness through the sacrifices that looked forward to the cross. Certainly this realistic gentleness was driven home to high priests and to their congregations alike when verse 3 was lived out again. Because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. Sin is serious. We have a pandemic going on that's not nearly as serious as sin. Sin is the most serious pandemic 
There ever has been or there ever will be. Sin is a pandemic, but it infects all. You can't wear a mask to avoid the infection of sin. You can't wash your hands 20 seconds or more to avoid being a sinner. Sin is serious. Sin is very serious to holy God. And we're seeing that the high priest of the Old Testament, we see what they were required to do, and we're equally seeing the sin of their own that they were to do it for, not just for the congregation. Sin had to be dealt with, and sin had to be dealt with by God's prescribed ways. And so it is still. Sin has to be dealt with, and he has to be dealt with in God's prescribed ways. Sin required a high priest, and sin demanded gifts and sacrifices in Israel, and sin infected both high priests and their congregation. Sin is serious. Point four, sin put God the Father into action. Sin put God our Father into action, verses four through six. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Just as he said also in another passage, thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Sin was so serious that God the Father acted He didn't stand by. He didn't look the other way. He didn't sweep it under the rug in heaven. Sin was so serious that God acted decisively. He took action. And God the Father called high priests into high priestly ministries, according to verse 4. There are two examples cited in verse 4 of God the Father's action to call human priests forward. The first is Aaron. Example one, and no one takes the honor to himself but receives it when he's called by God, even as Aaron was. And the second example of God the Father's action to call high priests forward, in Jesus' case, who was 100% human, but at the same time was 100% God, we see that in verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, Thou art my son, Today I have begotten thee. When verse 5 says that God the Father begat God the Son, it means that God the Father appointed Jesus to be high priest at a certain point in time. God the Father appointed the Lord Jesus Christ, his Son, our Savior, to be a high priest at a certain point in time. And in verse 6, Melchizedek is mentioned and his particular priesthood is said to be forever. The priesthood of the order of Melchizedek is said to be forever. And the Lord Jesus Christ is said to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, in that Melchizedek historically was both a king and a priest. And so is the Lord Jesus Christ, both a king and a priest. And Melchizedek was the king of Salem and a priest back in the time of Abraham. Sin is serious. It moved God the Father to action. Point five, 
Sin is so serious. Sin put the Son of God to prayer. Have you ever thought of it? That your sin, the world's sin, is so serious that it puts God the Son to prayer? During his time of ministry on earth, Jesus Christ prayed often. And sin in the ones for whom he prayed often was what prompted our Lord's intercessory prayers. Think about it with me. Jesus prayed for his disciples because of their sins. Jesus prayed for his enemies because of their sins. Jesus prayed for the sick because sin had brought on their diseases. Jesus prayed for the dead because sin had ushered in all physical death. Jesus prayed for Jerusalem because of their sins. Jesus prayed for Peter because of his sins. Jesus even prayed for himself, but, but not because of any personal sin he had, but because the sin of the world caused his death on the cross, and he prayed that his heavenly Father would resurrect him from the dead. Christ prayed that his heavenly Father would not allow him to remain dead. Our Lord Jesus prayed to his Father to save him from death in 7b, let me read it, the whole verse. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Our Lord Jesus Christ prayed to his Father to save him from death because one, Jesus didn't want to remain in death. And because, two, such a prayer was in line with the prophecy of Psalm 16, verses 9 and 10, which read, Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also dwell securely. Watch now. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that's the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. So Jesus prayed a prayer that was relative to sin, not his own, but relative to the world's sin that was nailing him to the cross that he might pay for it. He prayed that he would not remain dead, but the Father would raise him to life, and of course the Father did. And he's alive forevermore, a high priest, seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of the throne of God, his Father. I trust you're getting it. Sin was so serious that the Lord Jesus prayed against it often. And often he prayed against the effects of sin also. Interestingly, verse 7 says that Jesus' prayers were answered by his Father because he was pious. That's a word we don't perhaps use very much, but its meaning, pious, means reverent and devoted of course, it was impossible for the Lord Jesus to sin. But on the other hand, it's inevitable that you and I will sin. And so piety, reverence and devotion, piety was the standard for Christ. But piety is the challenge for you and me. For in Psalm 68, verse 18, we see that this particular verse 
is in play. It's relevant. It's going on. The verse says, the psalmist writes, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If we have wickedness, undealt with sin, unconfessed sin, unrepented of sin, and we pray, it says the Lord will not hear our prayers. Sin is serious. I'm sure that I want my prayers to be heard, and I'm sure that all of you want your prayers to be heard. Deal with sin. Confess it. Repent of it. Walk in righteousness. Glorify God. And your prayers will be heard. Oh, yes, sin is serious. To review quickly the message so far, it required a high priest. It demanded gifts and sacrifices. It infected both high priests and their congregation. It put God the Father into action. And it put God the Son to prayer. Sixth point. It's great news, this point. The great news is that even though sin is so very serious, sin can be covered when the sinner comes into Christ's eternal salvation. Your sin can be cleansed when you come into Christ's eternal salvation. My sin can be cleansed when I come into Christ's eternal salvation. Verses 8 to 10. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Let me talk perhaps to the person who hasn't trusted Jesus Christ to be Savior who's viewing And let me talk more generally to all the persons who have never taken Jesus Christ as personal Savior by faith. There's four truths I need you to know. Number one, sin cannot be swept under the rug. Out of sight is not out of God's mind. Number two, there is no do-it-yourself fix for sin. Your good deeds outweighing your bad will not fix your sins. Purgatory will not fix your sins. There is no do-it-yourself fix for sin. Number three, sin isn't expunged, which is a legal word, erased, and a sinner doesn't get amnesty when he or she dies. The person who dies without placing saving faith in Christ alone for forgiveness does not have their sins expunged from the record, doesn't get amnesty at the great white throne judgment. In fact, there are books at the great white throne judgment as every unbeliever appears before Jesus Christ the judge, and in the books are all the sins recorded for each individual person. Not because God needs help to remember them, but to show the evidence that the law of God was broken by the person standing before the judge. Number four, sin causes the ultimate buyer's remorse. 
we've all purchased something, maybe a car or something less significant than a car, and we've got buyer's remorse. We, we buy it, we say, say to why did I buy that? I wish I could take it back, but no returns. Sin causes the ultimate buyer's remorse. The negative effects of sin are eternal, so an eternal salvation is required, and the Lord Jesus Christ, thank God, provides that for everyone who will transfer their trust from themselves, from their religiosity, from their good works, from their upbringing, transfer their trust from those things over to Jesus Christ and him alone. That is what removes that buyer's remorse. Now, I want to circle back quickly to some things that are mentioned in verses 8 to 10 because they bear a little explanation. The first thing in verse 8, do you see the little phrase, learned obedience? As God, Jesus Christ had nothing to learn about anything. But as man, Jesus learned obedience to his Father in human life experiences. In his humanity, Jesus Christ learned obedience to his Father in life experiences like Gethsemane. Verse 9, see the little phrase, having been made perfect? Not that formerly Jesus was imperfect. Rather than that, formerly the Lord Jesus was lacking the complete human experience of learning obedience to his Father in every situation. See in verse 9, the phrase, to all those who obey him. This is referring to obeying the call of the gospel to saving faith in Christ, which is what I am giving in this sermon. To those who do not know Christ as Savior, I'm giving you the gospel that Christ died for your sins and arose, and you don't have the benefit until you turn from sin, self, and Satan to trust Christ alone to be your Savior. That's the call of the gospel. See in verse 9, the term eternal salvation, eternal salvation. This is a precious doctrine that the Bible teaches that once you're saved, you're always saved. The same grace that saves you from sin keeps you safely saved from sin forever. See in verse 10, the phrase the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. We've seen that a little earlier in this passage. Jesus Christ in his humanity was not from the tribe of Levi, and the human priests in Israel had to be from the tribe of Levi. Jesus wasn't from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And so he had to be in the human order of priesthood other than Levi because Levi wasn't his ancestry, humanly. Christ is like Melchizedek, both a priest and a king. And Christ is a priest forever. The point that the Jews knew about King Melchizedek, priest Melchizedek, is there was no record of his physical death in the Old Testament. That is not to say he didn't physically die. Of course he physically died. But the record never showed that he died. And so there was a sense when you said Melchizedek to a Jew of the Old Testament, they thought one who didn't die. And Jesus Christ is in the order of Melchizedek because Jesus Christ didn't stay dead. He was raised bodily from the dead. I hope you're seeing this. It's a simple but a weighty truth. All sin is serious to God. And all sin should be serious to each of us. 
We've seen that sin required and still requires a high priest. Sin demanded and still demands a blood sacrifice. Sin infected both human high priests and their congregation, but sin has not infected Jesus, our perfect high priest. Sin has only infected us. In this message, we've also seen that sin put and sin still puts God the Father into action. Sin put and sin still puts God the Son into prayer. Sin can still be covered, cleansed, when the sinner comes into Christ's eternal salvation by faith. Sin is that serious to God. And it's high time that it be that serious to us. But is it? Is sin that serious to us as Christians? We can understand the foolishness, perhaps, of the unconverted who don't see sin as serious. But how in the world can a blood-bought, redeemed, converted, born-again child of God not see sin as being serious? Happens all the time. Some believers don't think that sin is serious because of intellectualism. They think sin away. To which the scriptures say there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Some believers don't take sin seriously due to relativism. What's sin to you isn't necessarily sin to me. Or I couldn't help myself thinking I'm a victim in all of my sinning. Or there's a herd mentality with some Christians, which we saw back in the Old Testament when the leader was away and they built the golden calf. That herd mentality that makes sin less serious. And of course, came into play when the Jewish nation in anger called out, crucify him, herd mentality. Or there's the thought that I'm only human. What do you expect? Everybody sins. It's really no big deal. It's just what comes naturally. Some believers don't think that sin is serious because they say, my Christian friend said that I could do it. <laughs> Walking away from the objective truth of Scripture and Holy Spirit conviction, you take your right and wrong judgment from another human who happens to be a Christian. Or the relabeling of sin as a mistake. If you look into that Michael Horton book I referenced, Pastor Joel Osteen much prefers to call sin a mistake. Or live and let live. This is another thing that Pastor Osteen says all the time. I can't judge you. You can't judge me. Only God can judge the heart. There is objective truth in the scriptures that tell us what's right and wrong. And I can judge someone else who's going against the objective truth of scripture. And you can judge me if I'm going against the objective truth of scripture. Some Christians think that sin is so negative. It harms self-esteem. It creates guilt. And it drains confidence and fun. So easy not to take sin seriously enough. Some believers don't like that sin, uh, don't think that sin is so serious, rather, because they're adrift from the Bible. And they say, so what if it was evolution and not creation? 
So what if people live together without, getting, with, without being married? It's okay, it's okay to lie if, if it gets you where you got to go. Or all roads lead to heaven, man. Why evangelize? Or then there are secrets. I can get away with this sin. I'll just cover it up. Or fear, Peter's denial of Christ. I do not know him. Bold face lie. Or comparison, my sins are not as bad as his sins. Or blame, started in the Garden of Eden after they ate of the forbidden fruit. Adam musters this weak answer to God. The woman thou gave to me, gave it to me and I ate. Or the abuse of grace. Knowing that God's grace gives us the good we don't deserve in Christ People who claim to be Christians can abuse that grace. And in Romans 6, 1, the response to that is, my sin increases God's grace, so if I sin more, God's grace will be seen more. And the verse goes on to say, meganoito in Greek, may it never be, God forbid. Sin is serious. I add that parenthetical thought. Sin is serious. Sin is serious. So in wrapping this up, from time to time, it's very easy for any Christian not to take sin seriously enough. And so it is especially kind of God. It is wonderfully gracious of God. It is startlingly merciful of God that he gives us an ordinance that helps us to remember the seriousness of sin every time we come and take it. The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper at its core is the remembrance of the seriousness of our sins. And as you know, when you come to the Lord's Supper, it looks back to what Jesus has done. It looks to within to see if there's any unconfessed sin in us as believers. And it looks ahead to the time when our bent and propensity to sin will be curbed and cured in the future millennial thousand-year kingdom of Christ on earth, and the seriousness of sin. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Can you say that? It is well. It is well. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Just before I close this message in prayer, I want to give you a couple more quotes that tell it like it is about the seriousness of sin. It's from Billy Graham. Self-centered indulgence, pride and lack of shame over sin are now the emblems of the American lifestyle. End of quote. Thomas Watson said this, wrote this. The snow covers many a dunghill. A snowy white profession covers many a foul heart. The sins of the professors are more odious. Thistles are bad in a field, but worse in a garden. The sins of the wicked anger God, but the sins of the professing Christian Grieve him, end of quote. 
And then from the Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers. Oh, God, it is amazing that men can talk so much about man's creaturely power and goodness when if thou didst not hold us back every moment, we should be devils incarnate, end of quote. Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are faithful and true, holy and righteous, yet full of grace and compassion, the Most High God. We are wretched, sinful, fallen creatures, utterly unworthy of your favor, yet you sent your own beloved Son to do for us what Adam failed to do, to fulfill the law perfectly, to die in our place, to redeem us from our hopeless state, to lift us up from Adam's fall. In Adam, we were spiritually dead and headed for eternal condemnation. In Christ, we are made alive eternally. As by Adam, sin entered the world and sin, death by sin, even so, By Christ, we receive your grace, forgiveness, righteousness, and eternal life. Christ did everything Adam ought to have done and more, elevating us to a state of justification and divine favor no mere creature could ever hope to merit. Our guilt was imputed to him, and he atoned for it. Likewise, his perfect righteousness is imputed to us, and we are rewarded for it. We stand before you now as your own adopted children, joint heirs with Christ. There are no words adequate to express our wonder and thankfulness for so great salvation. We come to you in the name of Christ, the perfect mediator between God and men fully human yet eternally God. Your word teaches us that although he always existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But for our sake, he made himself nothing, becoming truly and fully human so he could reverse the failure of Adam and be the head of a new redeemed race. Since we are made of flesh and blood, Christ himself also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and thus become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Now, he is our true head and high priest, one who can sympathize with our weakness. For he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered. It is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. We thank you, dear Father, that as sin formerly reigned over us, now grace reigns through Jesus Christ. Divine grace has transformed us. We have been taken out of the curse brought upon us through the sin of Adam, and we have been placed under your blessing through Christ. That is why we worship you and seek to live our lives that honor you 
Be pleased, Lord, as we offer you this prayer of thanksgiving for the gifts of forgiveness, justification, righteousness, salvation, and eternal life, which come in Jesus Christ. Amen.